George Voinovich steps aside. More city council appointments, more controversy. And a new year, a new casino plan. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at Coside, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Reginald Fields, Columbus Bureau Chief for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Ann Fisher, Metro Columnist for the Columbus Dispatch. Jerry Austin, Democratic Political Strategist. And Michael Miller, Attorney and former Franklin County Prosecutor. Welcome to Columbus on the Record. After four decades, more than four decades in politics and public service, George Vornovich says he has had enough. I must devote my full time, energy, and focus on the job I was elected to do and the job in front of me. Uh, and seeking a third term with the money raising and campaigning that it will require would not allow me to do that. George Voinovich is 72 years old. He has served as Cleveland's mayor. He served as governor and also U.S. Senator. He says he is leaving to spend more time with his family. Reggie Fields, can you really blame him? He, it was going to be a tough race if he was going to run in 2010. I think absolutely. I mean, I think you take him at his word. I mean, he, you know, you have to have a lot of energy to get out there, to raise the money, to, to, to run. And at 72 years old, um, plus his wife has had some medical issues and, and um, recently. And uh, so I, I just don't think he had the energy. He, he saw, you know, there was going to be a tough race in 2010 because there's different issues out there that whoever, or if he was going to run, he was going to have to deal with. And I just, I don't think he would, uh, he, he wanted to, to have to deal with that. Did he look at Mike DeWine, and he lost a couple of years ago, and say, you know, I've been in this business for 44 years. I don't want to risk losing my last race. I mean, is that, is that possible as well? Well, it's a, it's a decision whether you want to leave going out the front door or being, leave being carried out. Uh, I mean, I was trying to think of any other elected official that we know of right now who was first elected in the 1960s. So um, Senator Voinovich has been around a long time. He had an opportunity to leave uh, his own way, walking out the front door as opposed to losing. If he would have run in 2006, he would have lost to Sherrod Brown. And he's always said he loves to serve. Every office he's held has been his favorite office. And um, I think that on, on another side of the coin is he really does want to spend the next few years serving out his term in a really productive way and because he, he enjoys doing it. Um, how will he be remembered? I mean, deficit hawk is what you keep hearing over and over again, although he's taken some criticism lately for backing the, the Bush tax cuts and, and backing the war spending and things like that. But is that how his Senate term will be remembered? Or? I don't know about his Senate term, but I'll remember him as a very emotional person. Yeah. Um, always take very and a lot driven a lot by his emotions and his integrity and what you know his values but uh, uh, not afraid to show his emotions he's known for that well you know around the, the state house and um, uh, I'm sure he I think it's been um, reminisced lately because of all the budget cuts we've been facing uh, at the state and local levels what he went through back in 1991 when he first took office so. he got emotional at his farewell news conference yep. briefly in, the, in this case as well well I'll, I'll be partisan here. Um, uh, he was a big supporter of NATO. No action, talk only. He did a lot of talking about things that he was going to oppose. When it came time to vote on him, he voted exactly the way uh, his party wanted him to vote. But early on in his Senate career, he did vote for some Democrat. He voted with Democrats in opposing some tax cuts. I think he voted against the marriage penalty, 
Um, so he did break with his party early on in the Senate career, not so much during the Bush administration. Mike, how will you, how will you remember him? Well, I knew him personally a little bit. I just always remember uh, think of him as a, really a pretty nice person. I think of him as a moderate, certainly not as a conservative. Uh, I know what Jerry's saying, and Jerry's right. A lot of times he did complain about some things, and then when push came to shove, he did follow the party line, so to speak. But I think he uh, was very respected. I think people liked him and thought he was a good human being. Uh, but I also think that, uh, like Reggie talked about, this would have been a tough race. Uh, he's 72 now. He's 74 when he runs. That means had he won, he gets out when he's 80. And there just comes a time, and I think that he did absolutely the right thing by, by stepping aside and doing uh, what he's going to do with the rest of his life. And, and being an emotional person, I, I, I believe that he cares about legacy also. And, and people tend to remember, you know, the last things that you do um, during your tenure in, in office. So I think he's com completely committed over these next two years to kind of you know, do some do some wonderful things or, you know, uh, just be a great politician. And hopefully that'll be part of that, you know, leaving legacy as he walks out. Do we see him possibly breaking with Republicans over the next two years now that he really has nothing to lose? Well, now now's the time to put up a shut up. He doesn't have any reason not to. But remember, during this past campaign, he called President-elect Obama a communist. So maybe <laughs> change of heart now that he doesn't have to run again. Why, do, why does it seem senators, I mean, he's leaving at 72, 74, which is a, you know, a, a time when most people retire. But there are other senators who stick around well into their 80s and 90s. Why is it the Senate seems to keep these well, What do they call around? it, the most exclusive club in the world? I yeah. mean, how exciting is that? Um, I, I, I don't think... Um, that, that isn't a mystery to me. Once you yeah. get in, you want to stay in. It's, it's top of the heap, you know, almost. And... Uh, uh, I think he probably enjoyed that. But, you know, it's for energy and running again and that kind of thing. I think no one has more energy at 72 probably than George Winovich does. I think he could probably cut it. Maybe it's family concerns and so forth. And, yeah. and then all of the fundraising that added on to it. So, yeah. And uh, also, I mean, to your question, I mean, the Senate term is six years, six years long. I mean, yeah. so uh, I think that kind of speaks to the longevity issue as well. I mean, what uh, maybe only Supreme Court where there's, you know, unlimited terms. And I don't know if any other federal office, you know, that has terms quite that long. Okay. The Voidovich announcement kicked off the scrambling for position in the 2010 race, less than 48 hours after Voinovich said he was retiring. Former Congressman Rob Portman announced he would seek the seat. And the next day, the Republican released this list of names of all the Republicans that have endorsed him. Some big names on there, Betty Montgomery, Pat T. Berry, other names, Greg Lashutka's on there. Mike Miller, this is basically, I mean, he's saying to the rest of the Republican field, look for something else, correct? Well, I think that's what he's trying to do, sure. He's trying to get in there unopposed. I think it'll be a tough a tough road for him to, to hoe to keep all the Republicans uh, out of it, but he may be very well successful. He's certainly strong in his area of the state. I'm not too sure that even uh, where we are, he's particularly well known, and uh, he may he may face some opposition from some Republicans who would like an opportunity, but he's still a, clearly the, the leader at this point in time. Who is Mary Taylor has been mentioned as a possible opponent? Well, she him. is, but I, I think the Republicans will put pressure on her to stay where she is. The She's 2010 election is important for Republicans and Democrats because it'll the apportionment board and so forth, and they need that seat. And I, I would think she'd have a hard time uh, defeating Portman, but you know who knows. 
And the last thing that you want in, um, in, in an all-important race, such as the Senate race, which right now looks like it could be a toss-up, depending on whoever the Democrats um, uh, will put against Portman if, if indeed he becomes the Republican nominee for that position. Um, you know, you don't want to have to do a primary and everything else. I mean, they're going to need the, the funds to be able to, you know, run uh, a long and successful campaign that's already underway. Um, he was in the Bush administration, Rob Portman, budget director. Was he? <laughs> You'll remind us, won't I, you, Jerry? I didn't know that. You'll remember. How, how, much, how much does that hurt him? Well, he wasn't just in the Bush administration. Uh, he had two positions. The first one basically um, took a lot of jobs from this state and the Midwest uh, overseas. He was trade, rep trade representative. Then he was the budget director. We, we have some budget problems here, and uh, he's going to have to wear the jacket for that. President Bush may be gone, but Rob Portman is, is going to be thinking that he's President Bush. That's at least what the, that's what the ads will say, and his opponents will say. I would think so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's pretty well liked in, in the Cincinnati area. It's also name recognition in central and in, in the northern part of the state as well that could that could hurt him. Correct. He could raise money, though it looks like, if he's got all these people behind him. I think he'll raise a lot of money. I think that'll be the least of his problems. I think what uh, Jerry said is going to be a big, big problem. There'll be pictures. Uh, he'll look like his. Uh, as John McCain said to President-elect Obama, you know, if you wanted to get George Bush, you should have run four years ago. Uh, George Bush will be running again in 2010, mm -hmm. I'm sure, and Rob Portman will be uh, his uh, sidekick. So who's the Democrat who runs for that seat now? You hear Lee Fisher, you hear Jennifer Bruner, Tim Ryan, the congressman. Who, who's the, I think, who's I the think, favorite? I think any, any one of them would, would, would be a strong candidate. Obviously, um, you know, Lee Fisher would be uh, first on the list. I, I don't think he had a real passion to run against George Voinovich. They both come from the same part of the state, and, uh, and uh, Voinovich is strong up there. But with um, Voinovich out of it, I think Lee Fisher needs to take, take a close look at this. I think Jennifer Bruner uh, has a, a, a similar uh, problem that Mary Taylor has in terms of the apportionment board. And uh, Tim Ryan uh, has a very important position on the Appropriations Committee and uh, a very safe district. and. So I mean, this this will this will work out, and I would expect to see primaries in 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 both um, parties. But we're what a year and change away from that, so a lot of things can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, Lee Fisher and Jennifer Bruner both have chinks in their armor. Jennifer Bruner, the controversy over the election and voting rules and things like that. Lee Fisher is development director, and that's not going too well right now. Maybe it's beyond his control, but that hurts both of those candidacies. I would I would assume. Mm -hmm. well, I, I think I think you know we're. Talking about negative stuff here in January of 2008 and uh, nine of the people's problems, I, uh, you know, I, I like to think that there's somebody out there whose name we don't have right now who will wind up being the nominee of of, of one of these parties that uh, will you know will will do an Obama uh, type 2010, and uh, maybe that's just wishful thinking mm -hmm. because it'll make it much more interesting. I wonder if uh, if the Democrats are waiting to maybe see what Congressman Ryan does, um, only because uh, Governor Strickland himself is, has mentioned uh, Congressman Ryan as someone who he thinks would be a, a good Democratic candidate for that position. Again, uh, as Jerry says, you know, do you want to risk uh, losing or or not really losing? I don't think the Democrats will lose that seat, but Ryan certainly would, uh, you know, be given up a very safe, you know, seat. And right now he's, you know, he's well liked from what I understand in Congress. I mean, he has a position on the House Appropriations, which is, you know, a very and you know all important mm -hmm. uh, committee there in Washington. Do we see a, a fresh face coming out? 
I mean, that's an intriguing possibility well, that Jerry mentioned. About fresh, but there were other a names face, pop, that yeah. popped up. You know, it, I think something akin to the problem that Portman might have with name recognition is Marcy Captor up in, <laughs> in uh, you know, Northwest Ohio, uh, U.S. Uh, Congress uh, woman for I think over, more than twenty years now. So, and uh, she was. Uh, uh, it's been quite a voice, you know, in, in recent years, and has gotten some media attention. But um, other than that, I, I don't, I don't know how whether I'd call her a fresh face or not. Can we start the Jerry Springer speculation here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know the, the interesting thing is that we don't have any names here right now. I mean, every, yeah. every name we're talking about is a name we all know. Yeah. And, you know, just think about the first time you heard Obama's name. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it, I think, you know, nowadays we're, this is a, a possibility. Maybe not a probability, but it's a possibility. Okay. Our next topic, waiting until the end of a term to leave, is something that has become unheard of at Columbus City Hall. To be fair, this time, council members Mary Ellen O'Shaughnessy and Kevin Boyce got new jobs, and that's why they're leaving. But once again, the appointments of Troy Miller and Eileen Paley have drawn criticism. But not from Republicans this time, from two members of the all-Democrat city council. Charlita Tavares went so far as to call the process a sham. Ann Fisher, she says it was too secretive. Mike Mental says it was not. It was open, he says. And also he and the city attorney say this was lawful. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's always be a better been lawful. Way. I, I, there's, there were questions the last round of appointments on the city council by Republicans um, that it wasn't lawful. And I think it ended up passing muster, all things being equal. But but to appease those critics, um, um, Mental and the rest of them went to greater lengths to make it o apparently open. I have no idea if it was really open or not. We never ultimately know who's talking behind closed doors. Uh, but, but be that as it may, I think it's kind of interesting that um, uh, both of them are criticizing the process from inside because they are appointees themselves yep. that were appointed under a much more secretive, if, if you want to start using those kind of words, process, I mean, way back when. So um, I, I, I'd love to see them address what's wrong about this process versus what was wrong about theirs and what they went through when they were appointed. There's not one member of city council that was elected for their first time. There hasn't They're, been for a really, really Mary long time. Was the last a lot one. of times it is because they're, they, they get a new job and they move on, and that's perfectly fine. I think um, Matt Habish was the last one I can think of that uh, um, quit early, mm -hmm. and um, presumably because he wanted to focus more attention on his job uh, with the Mid-Ohio Food Bank, which is perfectly reasonable, but he'd been doing that for a long time, as well as being city council president, and he still quit a year early. Um, yeah. Sense so. of Brenner left early with no real mm -hmm. that's right. firm that's job. Right. So, it's, I mean, the Republicans have done the same thing. Oh, my gosh. It's done rampantly on both sides of the aisle. That's not, there's no question about that. And on every level. Should there, I mean, I don't know, you probably have to change all kinds of charters and laws and maybe even constitutions, but shouldn't there be a special election to fill these seats? Priscilla Tyson mentioned that, that maybe it's time for that now. You mean to call a, a completely separate yeah. um, election? Well, it'd be very expensive, particularly at the rate that they <laughs> they have appointments. Yeah. So I don't know if it's reasonable um, to uh, do something like that in this in this world. Troy Miller, the the uh, one of the appointees, it came out in the dispatch Friday that he has declared bankruptcy when he was starting out of business back in 2000, 2001. But only two of the council members knew that. And, and not the council <laughs> president. Yeah. <laughs> which was <laughs> pushing for <laughs> which, is, which is, the Republicans Mike, must, must see that headline and say, okay, we well, have a shot maybe of knocking off one of these incumbents, I would guess. 
Well, I suppose I'll say that, but you run as a team. It's very hard to do that, I think. And, and, and one out of seven doesn't amount to a great deal anyway. I think the Republicans are having a hard time finding people even to run for that position. It's just interesting to me, though, you, you mentioned about the one uh, a congresswoman or uh, a committee woman uh, city council saying it was a sham. And I believe uh, uh, Councilwoman Tyson said something about she's rethinking her uh, decision to serve in the public or something of that nature. Yeah. I mean, it was really sort of an, some embittered, strong statements. Now, yeah, I don't know, I don't think the real basis of it is these two people being appointed. It's the process, it's an internal Democrat fight. I don't know what's going on, but yeah. I know something's going on. Well, I would and think it's, it's they had pretty. They had to cancel the meeting on Monday night. Yes. Well, after a 17-minute yes. gap. Yeah. And it's like, what <laughs> happened during that 17 minutes? You know? <laughs> well, I think it was erased uh, by accident. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Meanwhile, the new city councilors and mayor are dealing with the news that they have to cut another $13 million from the city's budget. The mayor has issued an ultimatum to five city unions, including the police and fire unions, agree to pay freezes or face layoffs. Union leaders don't like this idea. And Fisher, they don't like the idea of giving up raises, but they really didn't like the tone of the mayor's letter well, the and tone his message. And they don't like the fact that they were only given 10 days to deliberate it. I think that's a little bit unfair, however. The, gov or the mayor brought this up in November. Um, if they didn't see that as a shot across the bow, I don't know what they were hearing. But however, in terms of an official request or an official um, uh, uh, notification. Ten days does, doesn't seem like a lot, and some of them have legal responsibilities to the unions to negotiate or renegotiate these kinds of things. They can't just say yay just because they think it's a good thing to do for the economy. They have to go through, jump through certain hoops, and that is tough to do. I mean, these are contracts the city has agreed to, right. re regardless of its city government or business or anything like that. Should, should they be able to go back on their word? Remember, Columbus doesn't live in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. um, if you watch what happens at a national level, and I'll, I'll use the United Auto Workers as national, in order to keep jobs, they, they have made accommodations uh, because keeping a job is maybe more important than, than uh, you know, winning a fight and losing jobs. So it, it a trickle down to local level is going to happen at a local level. I mean, what, what recourse do you have now? You either accept this or, or, or you know, there's, there's more layoffs. And I think what, that's what the mayor said, and he said it very bluntly, and uh, now they're going to have to deal with it. Has there been any talk of this on the state level with the state employees unions saying, you know, let's go back into these contracts and, and renegotiate them? Any talk of that at the state house? Uh, I think there has been mm -hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago, as a matter of fact. I believe there was a uh, notification. Um, what was it? I believe maybe the youth services, mm -hmm. maybe they were asked to, you know, consider or or mm -hmm. maybe lay some employees off. And some of the uh, unions that are involved in, in that agency were not happy about it. So um, I believe that's probably where the state is, is headed. And with the trickle down, I mean, uh, right now, Ohio is waiting for the federal government to, you know, give uh, give the state some money, you know, um, from the federal stimulus. And so our cities, um, cities have also made a request for some funding um, to try to head this off. I know the city of Cleveland um, has, has made a request, as has the city of Columbus and others. Mm -hmm. What happens if three out of the five unions agree to pay freezes, but two of them don't? Should the two that don't mm -hmm. suffer the layoffs? Or can they do that? And, and run a city at the same time. Well, in terms, if you have to balance across the board, you yeah. can't just, you know, and, and we're talking uh, uh, necessary services yeah. here. We're not talking, you know, this is important stuff. So I don't think that that would happen. 
but um, I think that probably they'll all get together and, and work on this together eventually. But I get, what kind of surprises me, and I don't understand it, is I'm not a bureaucrat. I don't understand how things always work behind the scenes, but they were renegotiating a lot of these contracts within the past year. Mm -hmm. knowing full well, like we all did a year ago, that this was coming. And we mm -hmm. did know it. This is not a surprise to anybody. And they rene renegotiated these 3% and 4% raises, and I thought, what bubble were they living in, and why didn't somebody have some sort of, uh, you know, um, exit <laughs> strategy yeah. uh, if, this should, if, the, if this would come to pass, which, of course, it did. This could be a negotiating ploy. Mike, they, they, they get, they're supposed to get 4% raises in some of these unions. The mayor say, okay, give up all four. They might just cut, cut it back to two. Is there probably, is that part of the deal here? Well, I, I suppose it's always possible uh, that there's some room for negotiation, but I, I think it's really a fairly simple. It's, co it's com complex, and yet really it's simple. Mm -hmm. we're, in, we're in a lot of trouble money-wise. I, I can't remember what the uh, auditor said, uh, uh, Hugh Dorian, I don't know, 57 million, 70 million, whatever the yeah. number is, it's, it's big. And, and uh, as Jerry said, we don't live in a vacuum. We see it all across the country, indeed, in many ways, all across the world. And uh, I think the mayor is being very open and honest about it, and I imagine there will be some accommodation reach. And I don't think it's done in order to try and cut a 4% to a 3% or a 2.5%. I think we're all in trouble. The city's in trouble, and uh, I, I take the word, the mayor at his word. Okay. The mayor said even if they agree to this, there's still $3 million left that they have to find cuts yes. for. Our last topic, Albert Einstein once said the uh, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Two months after getting thumped at the polls, gambling is back. The Columbus Dispatch reports one gaming company wants to put casinos all around the state. The difference this time is state lawmakers might be listening a little more closely than they have in the past. House Speaker Amon Brutish says it is possible, and the governor is being very coy about the possibility of expanded gambling. Jerry Austin, will the massive budget deficits we've just been talking about make it easier to sell gambling this time? I, I think the answer is uh, yes and no. Uh, the yes part of it is you, ha you have the governor and you have the uh, Senate president at least opening the door and saying, well, maybe you ought to take a look at this. But if the, the gambling issue that comes back is the same old, same old that's been there before and rejected handily, it, it doesn't matter. You have to have something new uh, that, that is, that, that is uh, going to be put on the table. And if you uh, have Mr. Lairsman and, uh, and his cronies uh, put the same issue in the ballot and not just have it in Clinton County, but all the state, it'll go down also. Look for something new, something different to happen over this next year, and then the gambling may have a shot. If the lawmakers craft the rules, does that make a difference? Well, the, if the lawmakers craft the rule, what it will do is avoid a costly petition process. So that's the first thing to look at. Do you have a shot at going to the governor to give the green light and, uh, with something that they put on the ballot and save the three or four million dollars? Um, I think you may see something that's, that, that's pretty different, pretty interesting here uh, that everybody can at least take a look at and say, well, maybe this will work. Well, if you do it a legislate through the legislature also, then you're going to have um, several, you know, lawmakers who are key in their own communities going back home where, and, and if they have supported this, now they're taking that support back um, to their communities where um, these past uh, issues that have, have failed, no politician in the state has wanted to get behind those or support them in any kind of way because mm -hmm. that was just kind of like 
you know, political suicide to do something like that. So, I mean, going the legislature, uh, legislative route may be, you know, key in this in, in this time around. Still in all, I think, you know, the, the voters in Ohio are well-educated on this issue because they've <laughs> been faced with it so many times over the last 16 or 17 years or whatever it's been. And I think uh, people know that the uh, bell curve for earnings from uh, uh, casino-type gambling uh, is, is, is going to impact Ohio a lot. There's a lot of other states that do it now. It's not going to be the same sort of profit margin that it once would have been. I think they're going to have to come forward and, and when they're making the argument to the voters, whether they're the voters for a legislator or whether the voters at a ballot on the ballot, um, uh, why this would um, not be a problem in the future for Ohio. Yeah, and, I, and I also think that all the newspapers and people who have taken positions against this very consistently down to the past, I don't think that the dire economic straits are necessarily going to change their opinion, which they base it on a moral judgment that we're gonna, they're going to be opposed to it. I don't think that's going to change. And if they, get, they don't get both of the companies together, one's going to battle the other one in the polls, and that's, that's a deal. It's time now for our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Some final thoughts, some predictions for the weeks ahead. Reggie Fields, you're up first. Uh, well, the follow-up on that, uh, the issue that we just discussed, um, while I, I'm not sure about a, the full-fledged casino, but I do think that you're going to see some sort of bill that's going to maybe allow uh, slot machines at the racetracks throughout the state that will go through the legislative process just to kind of get us going down that gambling route. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're noticing the uh, cost, price of gas is um, inching up at the uh, at the gas stations, and um, I'm going to predict. I guess Bill Cohen last summer predicted that it would, um, the, the the bottom would drop out of it, and I'm going to predict that by Labor Day, the bottom will be back in. <laughs> Four bucks a gallon, you think? Probably more. Oh, really, hmm. Jerry? I'll give you a name for um, the U.S. Senate who hasn't been mentioned yet. The name is Ted Strickland. Um, uh, in Ohio, we have to balance a budget. In Washington, they print money, mm -hmm. uh, and Ted Strickland could make the case that he. Uh, would be better served being in Washington. He knows he knows uh, the territory, and helping get that money to Ohio because that's what we're going to need uh, the federal money. So, don't count that Strickland out. Wow. Okay. And Michael, I uh, just drive into work and go by the new uh, stadium downtown for the baseball team. I mm -hmm. think uh, right now it's about zero, and I'm looking forward to the opening <laughs> of the season as I'm sure we are. But I think it's going to be just an absolutely beautiful stadium. It's going to be a great thing for the city of Columbus and Franklin County. They had the lights on a couple of weeks ago. That was mm -hmm. kind of cool, seeing lights downtown. Uh, one note, one programming note. This Sunday, from starting at noon, we're going to run on WOSU-TV the 1987 uh, documentary, Eyes on the Prize. If you haven't seen it recently, set your VCR, set your DVR, or check it out live. It's, uh, it's an incredible documentary and very poignant right now, especially this coming week. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. If you want information about our show, if you want to email us, if you want to join this discussion, if you want to visit our blog, visit our website, wosu.org slash cotr. You can also see streaming video of this program and a few past shows. For our crew at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.